And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of Dollars and Making Sense. I'm welcoming back to the microphone Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money Magic. Hello, Philippa, and how are you? Oh, well, thank you, Ray. Hello. Well, i got to say, the reaction that we've had to the first round of discussions that we had around couples has been fascinating because uh, you may or may not be aware, but I also did a, a similar kind of discussion, but with our male counterpart collaborator, Phil Osborne. So I've had the male perspective uh, in this discussion as well. But funnily enough, because Phil has that very strong financial uh, advising background, I think there was a lot of uh, joint ground there. So sometimes I think that there's a melding of minds or maybe you two were briefing each other before I got to Phil. But let's just say there were a lot of similarities. But uh, I guess from a male perspective and also from a financial advisor perspective, when you are a man, I think you see things a little differently. And even as a fund manager, when I'm talking to couples, the dynamic is really interesting with couples and particularly if there's a very strong patriarch compared to a strong matriarch, et cetera, et cetera. So I think these are all the things that come into play when we're talking personality. Now, I want to go back over some ground that we talked about during our first discussion. Uh, and when we talked about couples, uh, we talked about three kinds of money personalities, freedom, image, and savers. So I think for the listener's benefit, Philippa, maybe go back over those three type of money personalities quickly. So just as to refresh our listeners' memories. Yes. This has come about through years of teaching finance and money to women. Mm -hmm. And what's shown up is that there are three distinctive types, but there's a bit of an overlap depending on the situation so that the saver will save no matter what. Um, uh -huh. As long as they've got money in their bank account, they feel safe. And so they're very conscious of spending and um, saving money and their mantra is make do, eat it up and wear it out. And so any of their previous generations that had been through some kind of deprivation or hardship or rationing such as the Depression or World Wars or tight credit times mm -hmm. where they didn't have credit back in my parents' generation, you had to save up for everything you bought. And the only home loan they got, that was the only debt they ever took out because mm, they didn't have access to credit until 1970s. And so the baby boomer generation were the ones that had access for the first time to personal credit along the lines of credit cards. So my research has shown up that savers are very conservative with their um, money. They like very safe. They're risk averse. So they are very switched on when it comes to how to save money, the frugal movement, the fire movement, all of those came about with people wanting to live more simple lives mm. and and trim the excess. Um, that's their temperament. Now, here's the thing. The opposite to that is freedom. And you can see it in all the people who've got their bags packed ready to take off the minute those borders <laughs> are open and they're out the oh, door and gone. yes. Oh, look, I can't agree more. I mean, geez, yep. that's the buzz around here. It's like they can't mm. wait to get the heck out of here. Yeah, but here's the thing. The freedom temperament is about being your own boss, being independent, having your own space, doing things your way. And the freedom temperament, while they might be employees, they like to have discretion on the job. But typically your entrepreneurs and financial advisors tend to be the freedom types because mm -hmm. they like to run their own business and be in control of their destiny. 
until you run into the current situation that we've got in the industry, and that's why a lot of them have left. The middle one of all of this, I've noticed, particularly with um, people who earn high income, you get what they call image, and these people's emotional well-being is tied up with the look and status. So they drive the best cars that they can afford, live in the best street they can afford. They send their kids to private schools. They must have the latest fashion. They're the Gucci bag owners, that sort of thing, because <laughs> it means a lot to them to be well-dressed and hang out with the right people, what I would call Sydney A-listers, those sorts of people. Or right. um, they tend to associate with their own kind because in, in the – the uh, whole thing around that is when you get um, these people in high-earning jobs is because they aspire to that kind of lifestyle. Now, what where you get an interlap, uh, sorry, an overlap of temperament is when the freedoms are saving up like crazy to go overseas, or if they own their own home, it's simply a base to travel out from. Right. Whereas if you've got the image people, they'll spend a lot of money renovating their houses, hence all those reality TV renovation shows on television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is about status and the appreciation of the finer things of life, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's also about inspiring envy. And so you get the whole thing of it used to be called keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know whether you call that anymore. Well, it's in social media influences. The the, the Joneses or the Habibs or the the, the Fitzgeralds or whomever. But, yes, Mm. keeping up with the neighbour and making sure appearances are are Mm. always as they should. Mrs. or Mrs. Bouquet. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the the thing is that they will save as long as they've got their aspirational goal clearly in mind. Yeah. So the whole point of teaching women is to ascertain exactly where they fit. Because you're not going to get a saver to spend money unless they can see value for it and they carefully evaluate and do their research and you're constantly on their phones doing evaluations and they're the ones that will switch electricity providers at the drop of a hat if they think they're going to save 10 bucks a fortnight. And so that's that to them, the joy is getting the bargain. <laughs> and well, I must admit, I, I have I, I ascribe to that myself because yeah. uh, I'm a great believer in swapping vendors because it keeps mm. them honest, you know. Mm. And uh, it's new account holders that always get better deals than loyal uh, clients, I, uh, loyal customers. I, I believe that's very much the case. Mm. Well, this is this is the this is the thing with um. It's about identifying which one you fit into most of the time. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that where it goes off the rails when people are under financial stress, typically I've seen, and I'm generalising here, but I've seen women savers married to freedom men because the freedom men earn a lot of money. They might be airline pilots or people who travel for their job and they earn a lot of money. And the woman takes care of everything where it runs into trouble is if there's financial stress and her automatic risk-averse reaction is to put him on a budget and that's all he's allowed to have. We end up with control issues if you've got he earns more than she does and she's the one that's controlling everything. Well, so, certainly COVID's uh, brought a lot of airline pilots, airline pilots that were mm. making a ton of money beforehand mm. with uh, no jets in the air. All of a sudden they're not. That's it. So they've ended up being bus drivers. You bet. The thing is, um, the the thing is also if you've got two freedoms married to each other or in a relationship, nobody saves anything. 
too busy, too busy saving up to travel. So they don't, they don't often have a view to the future. So the, the thing is to work with the temperament so that you get the goal setting where they know they've got to put money aside but they hate saving because they don't like the restriction of budgets. So you set it up that something gets chopped out of their pay, a bit like their super, sent off to a savings or investment account where they can't see it, can't touch it, don't know about it, and then budget to live on the rest. Mm. So it's a bit like a superannuation. It grows by default because somebody else has taken care of it. And and you can't touch it and get access to it. And that's it. So the segue into the whole situation with money and relationships is that you don't know um, how someone's going to react under stress until they're in it. Now, in the early stages of the relationship where everything is hunky-dory and romantic and everyone's having a wonderful time, if people decide that there might be something here that they could grow and develop to a more permanent footing, at some point they'll have to start talking about money. Mm. Now, and I've heard I, 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 I a lot just, of women talk about that. Yeah, I might remind listeners as well, uh, you, you mentioned a term uh, during our last conversation that I'd never heard of, and it's limerence, L-I-M. E-R-A-N-C-E. Now, I'd never heard of this term, but when you described it, it's something that we referred to in different parlance and a little bit crude, but not nonetheless, that it's maybe, very real. Explain, it may, maybe explain uh, again to the okay. listeners what limerence is. When people meet up and they fall in love. <laughs> I'm <that> in love. <laughs> all the romance songs, everything's perfect. He's the dream, she's the dream. And... Life has got rose-coloured glasses. Everything's hot (laughs) to trot. However, this is the limbic part of the brain, Ah. and this is the limerence phase, typically lasts 36 months to 48 months at best. It's the falling in love part where it's all terribly romantic and you can't get enough of each other and the texts are flying and what have you. The difficulty you've got when that starts to ease off is that people – stop being on their best behaviour, they then what we call revert to type. Ah. And this is where the building of the relationship work starts because who you thought you were falling in love with at the two, three, four, six-month mark may not be the person who turns out to be someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with two years down the track. Okay, so let's hold that thought for a moment because it's time for a station break right now, Philippa. Um, Wow, the time flies by when we're talking about this stuff, doesn't it? So um, you're you're here on Dollars and Making Sense. Uh, I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. I'm here at the microphone with Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money Magic. It's time for a station announcement and we'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back, listeners, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and I'm really pleased to have at the microphone this week with me, Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money Magic. And we are talking about couples and relationships and limerence. Now, just before we went to the break, uh, Philippa, you were mentioning about a, a 36 to 48-month period when we're in love and, you know, the stars are aligning and everything's hunky-dory. But then things start coming back down to earth. And I think one of the things we were talking about before we actually got on today's show is about broaching this subject now about how things come back down to earth. And I think that's what I really want to tackle in today's show is 
maybe giving some people some really salient pointers on, okay, how do we raise this thorny issue of finance in a couple's environment when things are still rosy, but we still need to live in the real world. So what what's what's I think what are the first phases that you think are the big flags that start saying to people that limerence phase may be fading? Well, I've heard some psychologists say that if the permanence in the relationship isn't mentioned by the six month mark, that's a signal. If at 12 months, well, where are we going? What are we doing? Why do you want to change it? It's all working well. There's are we talking about? Right are we talking now about the big C word, the big commitment word? No, no, we're not talking about commitment. We're talking about the direction of the relationship. And okay, typically, well, I, the words <laughs> the words that a man doesn't like hearing are the words are we need to talk. <laughs> oh well, that sounds like so commitment often. to me. That sounds no, like okay. This is just finding out. From the woman's perspective, where this is going, am I wasting my time? Are you just here for a good time? Okay. It's a female psychology. And she's not going to waste her time when she's looking for a permanent mate to build a life family base with if he's out there having a good time and he doesn't want to do anything else. So at the six-month mark, if it's – the, uh, I don't know where we're going here. Um, let's just keep going along. Why, why change anything? It's all working well. Mutual needs are being met. And then she comes back or they come back and say, if you're not talking about it at 12 months, which is pretty much in the middle of the limerence period, that's when you start talking about mutuality, shared vision, common goals. Okay, and unless like that those term, mutuality, that's a good term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, shared vision, common goals. So if they don't have anything about where do you see yourself in five years' time? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? What's what's your life going to look like? Um, because a lot of people, when they're studying, all they want to do is finish their uni degree, get a job and just have a great time. But if you're getting towards your situation in your late 20s, you're starting to think about, geez, I better do something here, then your search for changes tack in terms of what you really want out of life. And that period is called generativity, and it goes from ages 28 to 32. It's all through the psychology, particularly Levinson's work. And so at about the 12-month mark, you start saying, well, where are we going? What are we doing? Because at that stage, you'd have worked out who's paying for what, whether it's a friendship, edging into a relationship, does he pay for things, who's got the money here, who's supporting who, if there's, you know, with those sorts of sharing arrangements. But when it starts to step up is when you need to sit sit with someone and say, okay, if there is no future here, then there is no discussion about shared finances. If there is a future here and we're talking about mutuality and we're talking about marriage and children, then we need to talk about how the money will work and who's earning what, how it would contribute the jobs that they've got, the prospects for the future, because these are all the things that are really important to women because if they're having children, they have to go on maternity leave. Can this man provide the lifestyle that is going to support children and a, and a relationship? I don't care whether they're married or anything anywhere in between or different. If that future includes building some kind of family unit, then the money discussions have to come down to the whole attitude to money um, what they do with their money because the last thing people want to do is end up with someone who's 
in a lot of credit card debt because they don't know how to manage their money or can't, or they won't. Certainly, certainly, Philippa, you've raised some fascinating points there. And, and I guess if I if I was to sort of take a 10,000-foot view and look down on a couple sort of from a high point and, and see they get to a 12-month point and if either side of the relationship is now starting to use those words of family, budgeting, saving, goals, vision, etc. Certainly, it's going to shake the tree to the mm-hmm. point where if either party or the other side of the party listening to this doesn't have the shared values, that lovely word, which I'd not heard before, mutuality, if the mutuality is not there, I mean, these conversations would be flushing them out pretty quickly, don't you think? Yes, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. I've been mean, advisor the, for a long time. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm in my 60s now, and I, I certainly know when I was a young single guy, particularly in the armed forces, there was often a joke in the officer's mess that if a if that kind of conversation came around, uh, there'd be a bit of a snipe, sly laugh at the at morning tea time because we uh, often used to joke with them, it's like, well, things are getting serious now. You're either in or you 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 know you need to walk away because uh, I, I guess I was very much a pragmatist when I was uh, young and single. If uh, and and I knew what I wanted when I had my relationships and when somebody you know when a young lady started to, using those kind of terms. I ended it. I, I was pretty easy about doing that because I wasn't committed. But when the time was right and I met the right person, it's a very easy conversation to have, don't you mm. find? That's true. The only thing you've got with this day and age, Ray, you've got dating apps. Oh. You've got oh. online dating. You've got false pictures, false oh. profiles. And, I, you know, you end I, up I heard kissing the term a lot that. of frogs before you find <laughs> the prince. Yeah, I heard that term the other day, catfishing. I, I had to look yes, it up. Yes, it's shocking. I, I'd never heard of it before, but I, I didn't realise. It's not just, uh, you know, from an emotional perspective how nasty catfishing is, mm. but from a financial perspective how much money, uh, particularly women, have been fleeced from from catfishers. Mm. It's like, yes. wow. Yes. And this is the problem you've got is Meeting someone online, they'll always present themselves in the best positive light because they're selling themselves. And then in terms of going out with these people, um, how do you know what you're getting yourself into? And so I, I, I many years ago was in um, a flatting arrangement and one of the girls there took a liking or he, the, the other flatmates started pursuing each other Turns out he was a compulsive gambler. He ran through all her savings that she had for home deposit because he told her that these Korean heavyweights were going to kill him if he didn't get hold of her money to pay off his debts. So, And that's what limerence does. Yeah. Yeah. So he's left. He's taken all the savings, moved on to someone else. And so the point that I'm making here, in event that you actually are going out with someone, you are actually contemplating a future, what will that look like? That's the discussion about the future before you get to the money side of things Mm. because unless you've got that shared goal or commonality, the money doesn't even come into it. When that's decided that that's what this can move to, then you start talking about, well, if that's the case, how would it work in practice? And, And then you start finding out people's attitudes to money. And I remember many years ago, I was in a relationship with a guy whose 
was of European parents were of European heritage and they had been uprooted out of um, Europe as refugees because their countries were devastated by the war. So they had to come out to Australia on boats and start again as refugees, as we did back then in the 50s and 60s. But unfortunately, with them having that very frugal lifestyle and educating their two children, those good points of saving and spending and careful management translated across into someone who was so stingy that they counted every cent that they ever spent and everything was done on the cheap, cheap, cheap because they didn't know any other way. And so it translated across into a very restricted outlook on life where nothing was, you never went out to dinner because you got better meals at home. You never went out to enjoy yourself because it cost money. So even though they were working in a good job, that parental imprint of never having enough and never having anything of anything and scrimping and saving translated across into the emotional nature of the relationship. Yeah, I might ask you a question at this point, Philippa. Mm. I've often had this discussion with my own wife uh, when we occasionally have a, a, a bit of a, a, fi- a fight. And I guess part of the thing that I often wonder about is when you're growing in your formative years, and I am the son of migrant parents mm-hmm. who came out after the war, who scrimped mm-hmm. and saved, and so I was a very frugal saver. But we got to a point where I was very much the same, and there wasn't much enjoyment. So my wife sat me down and said, look, you know, we work really, really hard. This money is there to also be enjoyed, not just to be saved. And it took a little bit of changing. And I wanted to use the term hard wiring. And yes. I was saying to my wife, I wonder sometimes if I'd been hardwired when I was growing up and to unravel that hard wiring and loosen up a little bit and, and you know, iron out those wrinkles, I guess, uh, has taken me not months but years, but I think like – at this point in my life now, I'd got there, but there was a time when I think I was, you know, that that dull guy that saved everything but never actually spent it and had any joy. And mm. so that that notion of hard wiring, is that something from a, 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 a an academic perspective, is there a term for it that you see the way that kids are raised in that kind? Is that an yeah, environmental Im- thing? Yeah, it's environmental. It's called imprinting. Ah, okay, I like that. So that's what you've grown up with, that's all you know. It's it's the way things are done around here, that's how I grew up. And when you go and see their family and they are exactly the same way, um, then you see where this is coming from. The decision you have to make, is that what you want? And and I guess when you hear the terms of that's okay when we're married I'll change that. Oh is, yeah, right. Is, is is that a red, is that a red flag? I mean it sounds like one to me. It is. And here's the thing. If you're marrying someone why do you need to change them? I couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. But I, I, I dated a psychologist before I met my wife. And she said to me often, she said, Ray, if you can meet somebody that you are at least 80% compatible with and you can live with that 20% that you don't feel compatible with, she smiled and said, that's not bad. Obviously, if you can get better, great. But, you know, you don't always meet Mr. or Miss Perfect in your life. And sometimes having a compromise and being able to work with that compromise is also a, a good way forward. And I guess I smiled because at that time I still was looking for Madam Right. 
Um, I got lucky. I, I did actually meet her. And if Mary's listening to this, yes, darling, I still do love you after 34 years. And I, um, I still think I'm punching above my weight. But uh, <laughs> that aside, I, I guess that imprinting, you know, I, I think about many of my own character traits and that imprinting is ever, ever present. You know, the child of World War II parents, it, it's there, there are factors there. And a, a guy that reminded me of it as well is Ostentatious. Uh, we watched one of his comedy shows and uh, I saw a documentary on Ostentatious and it became apparent he's the child of Holocaust survivors. Mm. And when you see their traits, man, talk about imprinting, it is front and centre. Mm. Absolutely. And so, yep. uh, you know, I think your words of wisdom there, you know, you want to see who you're marrying, look at the mum and dad. It's mm. a very good example, don't you think? Mm. It is, and the thing is with, I mean, there are umpteen studies done on Holocaust survivors and and methyl, methylization and methyl marking on DNA with trauma and what have you, and there's still an ongoing field of study. And they found that, just as an aside, that the depression rates in the children of Holocaust survivors is up there with their parents because that's yeah. the way things are done around here, and that's, that's the survivor instincts in this family. And so coming back to the point of sussing out the attitudes towards money, it's also the behaviour around money. Um, and if you think that you're marrying someone only to be able to change them later, how would you feel if they said that about you? <laughs> yeah, There's good about point. mutual respect here that if you like yourself the way you are and you're comfortable with whom you are and someone comes along and says, oh, yes, but I don't like that about you, so I'll change that about you, Yeah, it's called respect. It's a short. It's a short conversation, isn't it? It's, really. It, well, this is it. And the thing is that if you really find that their money attitudes and the way they manage money is going to cause you to feel unsettled, then it's room for conflict down the track. Mm. And someone will say, "Well, you knew that when you married me." Yeah, but I thought you could change. Yeah. And that's see. So this is the whole thing with. Um, and also, once you get something like a pandemic or a job loss or a death in the family. Um, where circumstances around you and events have caused people to change their behaviour, there's a lot of resistance to that until people get used to the whole idea, and that's why you get all these marches and protests, is the fact that people feel hard done by because they're constantly being told what to do. Whereas um, one of the more fiery senators in the Senate, she stood up and said, well, it's about taking responsibility for yourself and it's about being, wait for it, called an adult. Yeah, that's Madam Lambie you're talking about, aren't yes, you? Yes, and I watched her in that speech and she was a single mum. She raised the kids. She had a lot of issues and the fact is that it's in your face. Now, in my parents' generation, you didn't talk about the way you voted, you didn't talk about money, you didn't talk about religion or politics. It wasn't the done thing. And so the problem you've got with people who hide stuff about money, and I think this came up last week, what they call financial infidelity. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. they feel more betrayed by financial infidelity than sexual infidelity because sex can come and go, but the effect of gambling or online activities that could compromise the financial well-being of the family unit is the survival instinct that comes under betrayal. Yeah, it's so fascinating. 
it's fascinating you say that, Philippa, because mm. Phil Osborne said exactly, I didn't prompt him. He used the term financial infidelity himself and mm. the other one, sexually transmitted debt. Debt. Uh, that's yes. the other one that you, you raised, which I'd not heard of before. So, look, it's about time that we uh, go for a station announcement. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone with me Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money Magic, and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and I'm really pleased to have at the microphone with me Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money Magic. Now, Philippa, before we went to the break, we were talking about this point uh, where the difficult conversations are now starting to occur, and we're having conversations around family and visions, and the limerence phase is either you know, holy moly, it's right in the middle of it or it's on the fade. But we're now getting to the nitty gritty of, you know, is this going to be a long term thing or not? And we've talked certainly before we went to our break about a number of different factors around uh, infidelity. And we're not talking about sexual infidelity now, financial infidelity and whether you're prepared to be able to work with a, a partner in the future that brings with them baggage that you're not quite prepared to cope with in the financial sense. So one of the things I want to now tackle is how you might raise these points other than potentially, you know, we need to talk. I mean, that's a great way of starting things, but it could also end things straight away as well. I mean, is there a softly, softly approach or do you think a, a very um, forthright uh, uh, approach to doing this is the way to go? Well, my sense of it is that if there's no talk of any future, you don't go there. But if there yeah, is talk that's, of, that's valid. if there's talk of, well, yeah, I think we could do something with this. There could be a future, and then you start working out. And you can see by the way they spend their money with you when you're going out with them, but it doesn't give you the background. And so the conversations are, what are your dreams? Where where do you see yourself in five years' time with the job mm. that you're in, the money that you're earning? Where, what sort of lifestyle do you? Aspire for yourself and then, well, if you had someone in it with you, what would be your thoughts and your aspirations around that? That's a great it, question, isn't it? You know, where yes. do you see yourself? Mm. And then from there you work backwards so that if there is a spontaneous, well, I'd like to sort of take this further, and then you might take it further for a while and then it doesn't progress past that. So, again, you don't have these in-depth money conversations unless there's some sort of seriousness about the relationship. But when you do, it's about mutual respect. So you ask them the things that they like to spend their money on and what they like to save for because if you've got a woman who wants to have the best of the lifestyles and end up with a guy who can afford that for her, then she's not going to marry someone who's a scrimping saver. Mm. So you've got personality types and financial history and the thing is a lot of people will say, I can't possibly end up marrying you unless I know what your debt situation is. And if you hear something snapped back at you, it's none of your business, end of. Yeah, I've got to say that, that would be comes a deal out, breaker. That's a real that's a deal, deal breaker. breaker. And so they say, well, I've got this amount on a credit card and I know one guy that said, happy to marry you, but not before you clear your debts out. 
and you cut up your credit cards and you have one credit card because if you're not willing to work for two together as a common good and you want to keep spending money on yourself, then it's not going to work as a relationship if you're trying to build something together. Wow. Now, if there's an emotional <laughs> commitment to a future, yeah, then that emotional attachment to the outcome of the goal is what keeps people working together as a team. True. So if you're saving for your first home, people will turn themselves inside out to save, save, save. Then once they get into the house, they then have done their budgets and what have you, and now they've got themselves saddled for, with 30 years of debt and they're kind of hoping that the house prices will keep going up. And <laughs> wipe, Well, you know, th- these are the hopes and dreams. Yeah, absolutely. And no, so, no, they're very topical, particularly yeah, at the moment. And, and I can tell you one thing, with couples, all they do is fight about money, but they stay married because there's a whole thing around power and control. And so if one of them gets an inheritance and won't let the other one in on it and wants to spend it on themselves or do their own thing with it, I can tell you that upsets the power balance pretty quick smart. And I've seen in my years as an advisor um, the whole thing around inheritances and estate planning and people tend to go off the rails when they get a whole heap of money that they're not used to managing. On the other hand, when savers win the lotto, it's still sitting in the cash account in the Commonwealth Bank. Because they're not going to change their lifestyle, and one of the one of the biggest wins in Australian history is still in the bank, because they still love doing their jobs and they haven't got around to doing anything about it. You know, a year and a half later, the first thing I'd have done in my temperament would be to set up a foundation, a charity, quick smart, take out <laughs> as much as I need, and go and invest the rest on behalf of people who need it more than I do. But yeah. savers struggle with that concept. Because if they don't have millions in the bank, they don't feel safe. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nobility of the, of the cause that you're talking about there. That mm. you know, my wife and I often talk about you know that that dream situation of of winning a windfall, and we uh, potentially you know you know the, the idea of real you know, of an estate coming our way mm. is highly unlikely because of our backgrounds, but. Uh, certainly you're not the only advisor. I've spoken to many advisors over the past four or five years where those situations will bust up long-time mm. families because mm. you're right, it throws a grenade into a situation that was quite peaceful before, but all of a sudden you inject uh, an unusual or something totally out of character and it upsets the apple cart so much. Pardon me for mixing my metaphors, but <laughs> it's just mm. it really can do a lot of damage, really can well, do yeah, a lot this of damage. Is it. And the thing is that money conversations are not about just about those setting out to achieve stuff. It's years down the track when stuff emerges where I've seen families break up over inheritances. Mum would have wanted me to have that, but your name's not on the list. I want it anyway. Yeah. So you get this sibling stuff. I've seen this in my own family. And I've seen it plenty of times when um, grandchildren will challenge a will because they don't think they've got enough out of their grandparents when it wasn't even left to them in the first place or a very small legacy was. And I can tell you that estate lawyers are uh, making a mint out of Sydney and Melbourne because of the real estate value. All the cockroaches are coming out of the woodwork. Oh, yeah. And, and so and estate, yeah, estate planning is getting very serious, tricky. Yeah, serious amounts of money too. Well, the other thing is that there's a whole lot of stuff around family law and inheritances that people aren't aware of either. And so in terms of keeping your inheritances and your property and your family, the wealthier families have 
networks of trusts to keep out predators and creditors. And so, yeah. Predators and creditors, I love that. Yeah, of course, I always call it that. And the thing is that when people end up with a large sum of money as an inheritance and suddenly they're a very attractive proposition for anyone who's on the make. Yeah. And so the whole thing around money is it's in a relationship as you're going along, it comes down to power and control and the fights, not about the money itself, is who's doing what with the money in this family unit. Mm. If there's no agreement about how this works, then you're going to have freedom issues. If they're both focused on um, financial security, that's fine. And then, then that's why I say to women, when I'm teaching budgeting, I always make sure that in the budget there's what I call beauty money. I because like beauty beauty money for a woman is anything to do that will make them feel good while they're saving. If you take the joy out of life, they'll splurge on something just to bring joy in. So if you allocate a certain amount each week or fortnight month and put it into the what I call the beauty account or the special savings account, you never give it a negative name like rainy day money because you'll have rainy days come and use it up. But if you put it, call it travel money, house money, beauty money, play money, whatever you want to call it, that allows you to enjoy it guilt-free and it's yours to do what you want with. And that takes the steam out of the control side of things where you've got someone who controls all the family finances who gives someone an allowance and that can feel demeaning to the other person. Yeah. Um, and in my mother's day, the, the bloke brought the money home and she did all the books and what have you simply because she managed everything and it, it wasn't dad's interest. But I can tell you there were plenty of um, men who took control of everything and their wives didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. So the, the whole thing was you go further and further down the track where women say, right, I've raised the kids, it's my time for me, I'm going off to university, and the guy says, well, hang on a minute, I've been working all my life, I want to be taken care of. That's your job. Uh, mm. Excuse me? Then you start yep. getting into various different phases of life. Who's earning what money and the inequality of the amount of money that's being earned, that really has to be sorted out as an ongoing relationship builder. Do you think, Philippa, that there is a place in Australian society, given that we're in the 2020s now, where I was reading the New Daily just recently in the last week or two, where there's a push to have financial literacy taught in schools, which oh, I'm a great believer of. I've been trying to get that done for years, and my old school said it's not on the academic program. We're not uh, doing it. Yeah. So I'm not kidding. My, my, my question to you then is that the idea that before granting a marriage license, they the couple would actually sit down and do a financial course where they simply get taught the basics of of you know, an online course, even you know, it, no, no, yeah, nothing. What, but Ray, that's what Wise Girls Money is about. <laughs> I, I get it, I get it, but I'm talking about actually mandating something that sort of says, guys. Mm. You know, we see this as basic as having a driver's license to drive a car, being able to, like you say, balance a checkbook or in modern day parlance, being able to budget and look after your credit cards in a responsible manner as being a foundation and a rock to having a successful marriage. 
marriage. Now, some people might sit there out there and listen to land and say, well, gee, Ray, that's none of your damn business. But I'm looking more from the perspective of the pragmatism that says, guys, if you're not having those discussions before you walk down the aisle Mm -hmm. or decide to shack up together, which is by common law the equivalent thereof of getting married. And so I say to any couple out there contemplating a life together or even cohabitation, these factors are really, really important. And if there is an imbalance, whether you've got the man making more money or the woman making more money, if those things aren't sorted from the outset in a, I'll use your term there, mutuality with the respect and the balance that comes from both sides looking at it pragmatically and saying, well, we've had that discussion. I sit there and if I'm a betting man, I'd say, you know, you're going to be one of the statistics for the divorce in that seven-year period, I reckon. Mm. Uh, I mean, would you violently disagree or agree with me in that regard? Well, this is it. If you haven't got your basic issues sorted out about who's going to do what round here with what in terms of getting it sorted out before you get married, but I've got to tell you, You could end up in a relationship and within 12 months you're married to someone you didn't think you knew. Yeah. When it comes to money and it comes to control and power, people keep it very carefully hidden until the rubber hits the road where, you know, in terms of earning things. And I can tell you that the relationships where they have kept everything separate and yet they're trying to live together and structure a relationship and or marriage doesn't last long because people need to feel as though they're a team. And certainly, if it's my money and your money, but it's not ours, you don't get that sense of mutuality and teamwork. So this is what it comes down to temperament, Ray. And I've seen in in situation where they're very generous when they're going out, but as soon as it comes to money and control, they're all over it. And unfortunately, a lot of domestic violence and abuse that was my starts point. out with coercive control and financial manipulation yeah dv i was going to say to you the mm. readings that i've been doing of recent months around dv and the causes and the mm. red flags yep particularly the red flags that young women should be keeping an eye out for is that coercive and uh, destructive control of finances where mm. the guy will all of a sudden start you know the, the tentacles start you know branching out and you know i've always said to my own daughter you know, don't ever, you know, you know you always got a, a safe place to come home to, but don't ever let any partner do that kind of thing to you because it's the, the thin edge of the wedge. It really is. It well, it's really one is. thing being a, in terms of sharing your budgets and what have you and and in terms of um, mutual savings and that sort of thing, but once it starts to um, come to the conversation where's what did you spend your money on? Where's the receipts? Uh, What did you want that for? Why did you buy it? It doesn't fit into the budget. Well, it's actually my beauty money, and the agreement was that I could spend it on what I needed or what I wanted. Good Well, I don't agree with that, and so we're not going to have the beauty money anymore. So inch by inch, your little freedoms and your decision-making are being removed, but it's like boiling the frog over time. By the time (laughs) you've worked out it's too late, um, the control has been taken over. Yeah. And it's very subtle. And the thing is that from a psychological perspective, when someone's got that level of control over someone else in a relationship, their self-esteem hits the deck and and the person that they were is no longer. When they're in that situation with someone who takes control and asserts control and exerts control over the relationship. And the thing is that also with a lot of men, 
they have this thing around power over and they'll do whatever it takes to get the power. And if the woman does break free, um, this is why a woman is murdered every week in Australia by an ex-partner or partner or someone close to her is because they've lost control. Shocking And their ego is dented. And this is where your narcissism and your narcissistic traits come in is because their wounded male pride, what will other men think of me if I don't have this control over her? So it all comes down to the sheer anger of these women finally escaping these sorts of relationships often started out with the control over money and it just went from there. Yeah. Well, look, Philippa, I've got to say, as always, these are fascinating discussions and we're just about out of time uh, in today's broadcast. It's always a fascinating subject for me and I'm so pleased that you uh, have come along and uh, decided to collaborate with, uh, with me on this program because I think these discussions are never, ever done enough. And I'm really, really pleased to be part of a movement that is out there trying to educate young ladies and middle and older aged women mm. around these red flags, around these terms. And I think the term that I've really learnt today that I hadn't heard before, and but really rings a bell with me, mutuality. I really like that word. It says so much that I would say to any young couple out there today contemplating marriage or cohabitation that if finance is not a pivotal element or at least one spoke of the discussion that you're having today and mutuality that is wrapped around there and the equality of that discussion, then uh, I think without you know uh, drawing on the bleeding obvious, I'd be saying run and run very, very darn fast. Philippa, final thoughts before we sign off. Well, yeah, I agree with you, Ray. Um, these are areas of conversation for people that they often don't know where to start or who to turn to. My advice would be to go and see a financial counsellor, be trying to sort yourself out, um, or financial advisor, someone in the field who can sift and sort and um, get yourself in order. Because the thing with change is change begins with me and you have to be responsible for yourself. And when you take responsibility for yourself, that's very empowering. You bet. When you start handing responsibility over to someone else for the stuff that's going on in the relationship, automatically you're losing that sense of equality. So it has to be a very fine line when a woman says to me, oh, I'll leave all that sort of stuff to my husband, I'm not interested. Well, I'm thinking one day you might find yourself having to be interested. So you better mm. start learning. And this is the thing, when you start handing away your power, you're leaving yourself wide open. Now, there might be absolute trust in the relationship, but I can tell you in my life experience and 20 years as an advisor, it only takes one thing like a pandemic and what you thought was safe is suddenly fractured. People have had to come at life doing things very differently. Okay, great thought to finish on today. Philippa, always, always a pleasure to have you at the microphone here on Dollars and Making Sense. And until next time, that's a wrap for this week. Philippa, thanks so kindly for being part of the show. Thank you, Ray. It was a pleasure. All the best.